welcome to Blue Dot, a look at our place in space. I'm Dave Schloem. If you're a long-time listener to this show, you probably know my favorite national park is Lassen Volcanic. I love it for its spectacular volcanic scenery, amazing history with a series of eruptions just over a hundred years ago, and its miles of scenic and mostly uncrowded trails. Over the years, I've volunteered in the park in various capacities and gotten to know many of its rangers and employees. One of my favorite people to ever work there is the outgoing superintendent, Jim Richardson. Jim's an amazingly warm person that just exudes a quiet confidence that lets you know the park is in good hands. So, while I'm glad to see him go in that capacity, I'm glad to hear he'll still be around the park and thought this would be a great time to talk to him about his amazing career in the National Park Service. While lots of us dream of becoming a park ranger, Jim Richardson has lived that dream and worn the iconic ranger hat for decades. Later on in the show, we'll hear from one of his closest colleagues, Mike Klemek, to talk about what Jim is like to work for and with. But first, let's meet the man under the ranger hat himself, Superintendent Jim Richardson. Jim, welcome once again to Blue Dot. Well, thank you, Dave. Happy to be on the show. And when are you exactly retiring? I'm retiring at the end of December. Actually, the last day is December 30. Congratulations on your retirement. And uh, it's so nice to have you on and, and to talk about your career in the National Park Service and Lassen in particular. So I'd like to start by asking a really simple question. When you were just a little guy, how did you first get interested in, in nature and the outdoors that, that led to this career? Oh, that is certainly a foundation of the career that um, I have now. So I had uh, a family growing up in uh, Omaha, Nebraska, with um, half of my family were on farms and ranches, and and then my dad's side were bricklayers and and carpenters. So I was actually out working with different things in nature, in the open air, uh, quite a bit as as a kid growing up. But when did you specifically discover that you know you wanted to like maybe make your life revolve around the outdoors? Yeah, I was very fortunate. Um, my my folks uh, did a two week vacation every summer, and we went camping to the the different corners of the U.S. And our primary places we visited were national parks. We were tent camping, even though my mom didn't love tent camping, but my sister and I loved tent camping and loved being out in nature and out out in the air and 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 hiking and uh, splashing around in lakes and streams that kind of thing and what was your first national park or the first one you ever visited oh in fact i i look back into my memory and i can remember actually my very first trip to florida when i was five <laughs> i have i have that vcr in my in my brain both of uh, alligators in uh, Everglades and the Ford at Castillo San Marcos. So the Everglades was your first exposure to the national park system. And um, do you remember when you first saw your first, you know, guy in the hat that you, or gal that you wear now, the, the National Park Service, the, the, the iconic hat? Do you remember when you first saw a ranger wearing a hat? You know, I don't know if I remember the first one, but I do remember a series of, of rangers and a ranger uh, 
guided walks, and especially actually the the campfire programs in the evenings. Since we were camping, we would go to all of the evening camp campfire programs, see what was important for that park, sing along with campfire songs, whatever whatever was on the menu. And I really enjoyed that. And I do actually remember uh, asking a couple different rangers at a couple different parks. So what would it take to to become a ranger when I grow up? And they said, well, it, it's a lot of competition. Um, it's a wonderful job, but it's so much competition. Uh, maybe you ought to consider something different. Wow. So they weren't really super encouraging. No, they weren't that encouraging. And in fact, when I finally did get my my first ranger job after college, there were about 50 qualified applicants for every job. And that has, uh, that was a seasonal job. And that has really switched around where, where there are many, many less uh, qualified candidates uh, that are applying. Was this back like in the 1960s? When, when was this when it was very competitive to get a job in the National Park Service as a ranger? Yeah, in the yeah, both the 70s and and 80s. So I applied okay. for my first uh, ranger job in the in the 80s, right after right after college, after I graduated from college, and it was it was definitely very competitive back then. And where where did you get your first job uh, in the National Park Service? I was very fortunate to get um, a job at Rocky Mountain National Park as a uh, climbing park ranger at Long's Peak. Guys from Omaha, Nebraska, it's not usually what you associate with with mountaineering. So how did you get into that? Uh, First of all, I was just good in the outdoors, uh, good at uh, figuring out how to, you know, when it was cold, how to dress right and stay warm and comfortable uh, being outdoors. But then, uh, especially during college, I did quite a bit of uh, traveling for climbing. And my my very favorite was to Rocky Mountain National Park, but other places along the Colorado uh, Front Range, El Dorado Canyon, up to South Dakota to the Needles was also a, a favorite, about the same same distance from Omaha. And what exactly does a climbing ranger do? Yeah, uh, what the parks need is uh, rangers who are comfortable in the the challenging uh, environment up in the mountains um, in particular so that we can tell people about the conditions and uh, have some legitimacy because we are a climber and we're actually out there seeing it doing the roots and then when somebody gets hurt or lost we have a clue as to uh, where they might be what logistics might be involved, uh, how many rope lengths up a climbing route are, things like that. So we did we did a lot of rescue. Do you remember like a specific rescue you could share with us that sticks in your mind? Well, I, I did a, a whole bunch, but um, I guess one in particular was um, we had gotten a call in the fall from um, a ham radio, a portable ham radio operator that said somebody had fallen off the narrows part of the hiking route, the really the one hiking route up to the top of Long's Peak. And um, it was uh, time to go 
go rescue that person. And the, the, the reporting party said that the, the, the guy had fallen about 70 feet and was obviously injured, but he was, he was moving. And so he, he was uh, not deceased. And so, boy, we needed to go help. The, the bad news, it was a very windy day. And uh, to get there quick at nearly 14,000 feet, a uh, helicopter was the best answer. So we helicoptered uh, a couple trips up to the top. And then the pilot said, that's enough. It's too windy. I'm not coming back. <laughs> and so we didn't have really enough people or equipment to uh, rescue this uh, guy. But we made do with what we had. We recruited some other hikers, climbers uh, to help us. And we ended up doing uh, an all-nighter uh, that we continued to move down the peak. And again, in this, this high, high wind, not enough help, pretty cold environment, and moved down to where we finally hit the trail at the Boulder Field at 12,000 some odd feet. I think it's 12,400 feet. Um, and there we had a relief crew who had come up to to help us out. And all we had to do, the, the original rescuers, we just had to walk down because uh, we were just completely exhausted. But that, that uh, gentleman uh, lived and uh, he came back later to thank us. Wow, that's got to be really gratifying. That That is actually, you know, when you're a, a rescue ranger like that, that's what you really sign up for, isn't it? It really is. And and I, I didn't really know exactly what I had signed up for when I first started. But uh, once I started uh, literally helping save our team, save people's lives. And so that was that was very re rewarding. And I said, boy, this career is for me. Okay, well, then from Rocky Mountains and the Climbing Ranger, where's your next national park job? Yeah, so I did the seasonal gig at Rocky Mountain for five seasons, uh, really just kind of extended summers. And I taught skiing at Winter Park Ski Area and the disabled ski program in the wintertime. Um, so really got lots of skiing experience as well, but then realized I wanted to... Uh, to go on to a career and started applying for permanent jobs. There aren't very many permanent jobs. It's a pretty difficult to, to break into that first permanent job, but I got one at Agate Fossil Beds National Monument in Nebraska. Ah, so back to, but kind of back home to the Midwest. Yes, a little bit, although the Agate is in Northwestern Nebraska um, in an area that's more like much of the Wyoming Plains. And we, we joke that there were more, more coyotes and rattlesnakes than there, than there were park visitors. So it was a little uh, bit of a lonely place. And then where was the next stop in your career? Then I went to uh, Zion National Park in Utah. Ooh, one of my favorites. Two, yeah, two different jobs at Zion. It was the Kolob Canyons district ranger in the outline district, but then moved down into Zion Canyon when a position there became uh, available. That was a busy park. Yeah, that's one of the, the really big busy parks, isn't it? What's, what was it like to go to one of the, the parks that has, you know, a really high visitation like that, especially coming from the one in Nebraska? 
Yes, um, Rocky was also uh, pretty busy, and it's even busier today. But Zion was, was was very busy, and again, I got to use my my rescue skills were were probably my most valuable asset because uh, we did have uh, a number of very very difficult technical rescues at, at Zion. Okay, and then after Zion, where next? Yeah, after Zion, uh, I was lucky enough to have a, a position open back at Rocky Mountain and went back to Rocky Mountain National Park on the west side of the park as the backcountry supervisor, which was uh, one of the most classic jobs uh, that still remain in the Park Service. Tell us about that. What's what's a backcountry ranger do? Yeah, a backcountry and wilderness ranger spends most of their time, much of the their time anyway, uh, out in the field, on the trails, off the trails, exploring areas, uh, becoming completely familiar with nature within the and around the boundaries of the of the park. I used to measure my success of of how I was doing by how many nights I slept on the ground. Okay, and then after that gig, what's next? Yeah, it was time to move on. Um, my daughters were uh, growing up, but both still in elementary school and started applying for, for different jobs and got a job at the Santa Monica Mountains National Recreation Area. Uh-huh. Uh, Near and dear to my heart. Yes, uh, basically uh, Los Angeles's uh, national park. It's really the place where I kind of discovered my love of the outdoors because growing up in Malibu and the San Fernando Valley, it's very, you know, Malibu's neat, but, you know, San Fernando Valley is a very urban environment. And then all of a sudden I figured out when I got to high school, it's like, uh, I can just take my car up in about 25 minutes, be in nature up in the Santa Monica Mountains. And it's like, once I figured that out, it was like a game changer. It really is a game changer for the the people of LA. And, you know, if you're just willing to leave the roads and the roadside, um, there are trails, old fire roads, and then just wild canyons. There are several canyons within uh, Santa Monica Mountains that it'll take you a a whole day to go from top to bottom uh, to get out to civilization again. So there's some, uh, some really wild country in there. Yeah, I remember I used to explore the Stunt Ranch area a lot. That was kind of my go-to place. Very good. And, and thinking of the, the rocks, there's some, some good rocks and some rock climbing in the Stunt Ranch area. Beautiful sandstones, yeah. Okay, and then after Santa Monica, where next for Jim Richardson? Yep. My uh, younger daughter was uh, just about to graduate from high school, so it was uh, time to move on. And I applied to a couple jobs, but got uh, hired up at uh, Whiskey Town um, in Reading. And what did you do there? There, I was the uh, the chief ranger, and in particular, uh, the the big skill that I had that they really needed was um, law enforcement with the marijuana growing that was oh, happening yeah. in, in the park, and still is i i'm pretty sure although they had a big fire uh the car fire in 2018 so that uh, uh burnt away a lot of the 
the cover, the camouflage for those growing operations. Ever have any, you know, particularly hairy experiences doing that? I would be happy to tell the the all the listeners that um, we had mapped out growing sites within within the park, and within a half mile there was a growing site in every place in in the entire park. So even if there wasn't good water source, they would pipe water to it and uh, find a spot where they could be somewhat camouflaged in their growing operations. So, so we, we really hit that pretty hard uh, from investigation and detection uh, right up until just regular raids with the, the county deputies, uh, the DEA, Fish and Wildlife Service, uh, local fishing game who had uh, some really good uh, dogs that would go along on these raids with us that were uh, helpful to keep them safe. Yeah. Well, uh, definitely not a good use of our public lands as far as I'm concerned. That's that's terrible. Okay, from Whiskey Town, then where? Yeah, um, I was coming close to the end of my, would have been the end of my uh, law enforcement career. We basically, at age 57, we have to retire when we're law enforcement or firefighters. And so I started looking for other opportunities and uh, got a, a detail as the acting superintendent down at Oregon Pipe Cactus National Monument on the border with Mexico. So that's your first superintendent job? Yes, that was... Um, a four-month detail, and it was it was perfect for me. I was still still a commissioned ranger, and uh, could interact. In particular, the critical interaction there is with the border patrol. That's so important to to keep things uh, safe, to distribute that, share that information of all the detection items, all the things uh, related to people coming across the border. Um, which had many safety issues as well. So that was um, that was a significant uh, time, uh, but it made me realize that I could do this job as, as a superintendent. We're gonna take a short break, but stay with us. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Lassen Volcanic National Park Superintendent, Jim Richardson, about his retirement from a storied career in the National Park Service. I'm Dave Schloem, and you are listening to Blue Dot. And we're back. Let's return now to our conversation with Jim Richardson. Jim recently announced his retirement from being the superintendent of one of California's crown jewels of nature, Lassen Volcanic National Park. What was your first full-blown superintendent job? Yeah, I got a job out in the far, far Pacific, out at Guam and Saipan. So on Guam, we have uh, War in the Pacific National Historic Park. And on Saipan, we have American Memorial Park. And I lived on Guam with my wife. Yeah. And then after that, where next? 
Well, uh, I was lucky to have the, the job here at Lassen National Park uh, open up and moved back here with my wife in uh, April of uh, 2017. Yeah, I'm familiar with that park. Uh, and <laughs> when you got here, had you been to Lassen much before you came to be the superintendent? Um, not a ton before, but it was our favorite getaway when we, when I worked at uh, Whiskey Town and lived mm -hmm. in Reading. Of course, it's very close to Reading, and uh, it's an opportunity to go from the you know the valley environment up into the the true mountains with tall trees and lakes and peaks and uh, its own wildlife. Uh, it was a great getaway even back then. So uh, I, I knew it a bit, but uh, of course now I know it very well. All right. Well, let's talk about now that you've you've been in the superintendent role and you're about to retire from being the superintendent at Lassen Volcanic National Park. Um, we'll talk a little more about Lassen later, but tell us about, you know, the structure of, of the national park system. So let's talk about your role. You've, you're an administrator. You're the head of that park. Um, what's that like as far as your relationship goes to the Department of the Interior and Washington and budgets and all that stuff? How much do you interact with Washington? You know, um, generally we interact much more with uh, just our regional office uh, leadership, and it's it's pretty rare that we we directly interact with with Washington. Although during the the pandemic, uh, actually, I had a detail to to Washington D.C., which was probably the strangest time to to do a detail. And additionally, it was um, it was right after the election of our current president and i was there for the the insurrection that happened up uh, to the capitol oh, wow. and uh, so that was that was a very strange time and where is the regional director that you deal with yeah they're based in san francisco um, but our region has uh, central office regional office really split between san francisco and seattle Okay, let's talk about about you know the structure of a, a park for you know because as the public and we come visit we see you know the rangers um, we might go to the visitors center but there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes. Um, let's talk about the different parts of a national parks staff, if you will. So um, you've mentioned law enforcement; they're very important. Let's talk about them a bit. But talk talk about the role of law enforcement in the national parks. Yeah, our law enforcement rangers are really just one half of what most people think of as the rangers. There's the interpretive and education rangers, and then there's the law enforcement and emergency services rangers. Um, the law enforcement rangers um, deal with uh, managing the public, public uses. So we're the ones that close and open the roads when somebody gets uh, hurt or sick. We go uh, take care of them, get them, get them uh, evacuated, get them to a an ambulance, or if it's really needed, uh, maybe a heli helicopter. If there's problem wildlife, uh, uh, they're the ones to to deal with the the problem wildlife. They have tools uh, that that pretty much other people don't have, so firearms and uh, you know dart guns to uh, put to sleep uh, 
uh, problem wildlife so that they can be moved or or at least collared or or marked uh, if we have problem wildlife. Yeah, and also just kind of do the the normal mundane tasks like patrolling the campgrounds once in a while and making sure people don't drive too fast or park in goofy places. Yeah, it's a it's a public safety role that just by being visible out there, it deters any ideas of doing something that people people pretty much know the right thing to do, <laughs> but sometimes they uh, go ahead and 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 do that unless there's some deterrence. And just by seeing the, the law enforcement rangers out there regularly in the campgrounds and on the trails and on the roads, parking lots, um, they, they tend to behave pretty well. But uh, boy, I must say that in general, the, the Lassen visitors uh, of all the parks that I've visited have been the most uh, respectful of the resources and they're the folks who don't litter there's there's no graffiti in lassen uh, that's nice to you it's really nice yes it is okay what and um lassen also has a, a fire component a, a staff of firefighters tell us a bit about that we do we actually have an outstanding uh fire management program um it's a small program uh but it's been progressive for a long, long time, not just uh, as part of the, the firefighting qualifications, uh, but as in, in using fire as a tool, in particular uh, prescribed fire. Um, we, we have been doing that for, uh, oh, about 30 years, actually more than 30 years uh, here at Lassen. And uh, that, that long history of that success uh, really paid off in spades when the, when the Dixie Fire came in 21. Yeah, well, let's go ahead and talk a bit about the Dixie Fire since you, you mentioned it. Um, we've discussed it before, but for those that are not familiar with the story, uh, that fire was one of the largest wildfires in California history, very destructive. Can you kind of just take us back to when you first started to realize that that fire could get to your park? Yeah, the fire started uh, in July of 21 in a really a record drought year. And so we knew that the fuels, the conditions were, were ripe for development of a, of a large fire. Um, within just the first couple days, the fire spread, not under really windy conditions, but it was a it was a fuel connected fire, and it it grew uh, quite fast and uh, grew slowly in the direction of the park. Um, and I got together with uh, our management team and our fire staff, and we got out our our planning and uh, got out, uh, warmed up our crystal ball and said, you know, this, this has a good chance of coming to the park and we need to do some preparations. And tell us a bit about the preparations because they really did wind up uh, being very remarkably effective to, to save some of the communities around the park like Mineral and Mill Creek, and Old Station. You know, it, it really did work well. So we had really two things that were going for us. It was the 
the long-term uh, preparation of our facilities so that we didn't have to worry too much about the facilities when the fire came. We had uh, cleared around those facilities. We had thinned out the, the trees, trimmed up the, the branches, uh, got all the systems in place so that they would at least have a chance when, when, the fire, when a fire uh, came to them. So when we really got into the thick of, of the firefight, we were able to make some decisions and then had the firefighters carry out those decisions, which held the fire, the, what would be the west flank of the fire, along the park highway, pretty much. And there were other, other uh, lines that we knew would be defendable. We were able to defend those. And because of those decisions and that, that hard work by the firefighters on the ground, the fire did not spread to Mineral, to Mill Creek, and ultimately to Old Station um, to the north of the park. Yeah. And um, do you remember a particular moment when you were perhaps the most worried during that, you know, where it was like, this is a moment of, you know, this could go either way? Yeah, we had uh, we had, had the, the fire in the park for over a month, and that fire had really calmed down because of the previous prescribed fires and natural fires that had occurred in the park. But we expected that at some point we would get finally a break in the weather, a windy day, and that the fire would run to the north uh, outside of the park. And the town that was in the way was Old Station, which had been threatened before. So we were really worried about that. We had uh, taken that month to prepare and essentially prepare to herd that fire along a, a, what turned out to be a successful fire line to the kind of north-northeast. And that day was a, a very, very emotional, very difficult day. I can remember the person in charge of that division calling me on the phone and said uh, he needed Manzanita Lake water for the helicopter buckets. And for any of you who know Manzanita Lake, it's a, an outstanding fishery, an outstanding recreational resource. One of the most beautiful spots in the park. One of the most beautiful spots. And uh, throughout the firefight, I had told him and, and other fire bosses that that's the one place we do not want to dip water from. And sure enough, he called me and said, um, old stations threatened, um, we need Manzanita Lake. That was the first day in the, the firefight, really three months of stress um, that I finally cried uh, because oh, I had just given them permission to 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 use our and maybe damage uh, our most important resource. Wow. Yeah. Well, I got to fish it earlier this summer and it fished really well. So I think it, it survived. It, it did. It survived really well. The fire, uh, fire team did not have to end up dipping out of that. Um, miraculously with that wind that pushed it to the north, northeast, um, also cleared the smoke from the air enough that big air tankers uh, based out of Redding, the Redding Airport, and actually Sacramento as well, 
were able to uh, douse that that fire line we had pre-built and we were able to herd the fire, keep it away from old station and um, really save the community. Yeah, that that was a huge victory for sure. So um, that must have been a moment. There, there must have been a moment for you when you felt like, okay, we're we're past the worst of this. We, you know, we've we've made it. And then you've got to assess, you know, the damage that that fire did to the park. Uh, of course, one of the, the 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 really tough losses, you know, to me personally, was uh, the loss of the Mount Harkness fire lookout, the historic lookout where Edward Abbey. Um, was a was a fire lookout at one point and wrote much of the the book, the famous book Desert Solitaire. So that that was a tough loss. That was a tough loss. Um, that uh, burned on that very first day. Essentially, um, an ember shower got the historic wood that had just recently been rehabbed. We had gone up there and rehabbed the whole the whole wood structure with fresh paint and. Uh, you know, reputtied the rotting wood, um, really gotten it back up to snuff, and then the next year the the fire uh, fire took it. So that was a difficult loss as well. If you're just joining us, our guest is Jim Richardson. Jim recently announced his retirement from being the superintendent of Lassen Volcanic National Park and kindly agreed to sit down with us to talk about his amazing career in the National Park Service. We're going to take a brief break, but stay with us. I'm Dave Schloem, and you are listening to Blue Dot. And we're back, and thanks for listening. We're joined now by Lassen Volcanic National Park's Chief Fire Officer, Mike Klemick, a man who knows Superintendent Jim Richardson well after working closely with him the past few years, and especially during the stress of the Dixie Fire, which burned through much of the park in 2021. Mike, welcome to Blue Dot. Hey, thanks for having me. It's an honor to get to speak to Jim and his uh, his time at Lassen and the relationship we have with the all his service. Well, let's start at the beginning when, you know, whenever there's a transition in leadership, you go from a, a one superintendent to a new one. It's always kind of a, okay, what's this going to be like? Tell us about, you know, your first impressions of Jim and kind of how your relationship with him evolved over over time. Yeah, it's, you know, before Jim arrived, uh, we had Steve Gibbons, who was an excellent superintendent that had to depart a little early for us. And we had an excellent detailer from the regional office that came in and helped out. But um, what makes Lassen and other parks work and click is the superintendent is obviously the IC in my world, right? The fire world. And he or she has a leadership team. And our leadership team, you know, was very involved with the region and our sister park, Whiskey Town, and others to find a good fit for Lassen Park. So. In the process of myself being hired in April of 2017, I think Jim officially got his his EOD date in June. Communication was already on the go. So we had a known factor in Jim Richardson coming as a chief ranger in the past at Whiskey Town, also superintendent out in the Samoan uh, Island country. And um, we knew we had a solid character and person that was looking to 
continue to push Lassen forward. Well, one of the true tests of leadership to me is how they respond to a crisis. And of course, you were both deeply involved in the crisis that was the Dixie fire that, you know, swept through the park. And you, of course, being the fire management officer, that that's, you know, in your wheelhouse. Um, talk a bit about, you know, what that was like working with him and some of his leadership qualities that helped you two work together and get through that. You know, I think a key component to that is that it started well before uh, the Dixie fire. Um, what we went through with the car fire in 2018 and the Ferguson fire, both in respectively Whiskey Town and Yosemite in 18, um, different fire fatalities during those fires. Um, Jim was already heavily involved with fire management, and we already built a relationship in one year where we trusted each other. Jim supports a fire militia program, which is the old school way of doing things in the park service that I believe in as well, is that everybody has a job when wildland fires on the ground. It doesn't necessarily need, need to be somebody right there on the front lines and operations, but there's many support mechanisms that the ICS system does not uh, succeed if everybody's not trained and involved. So Jim and I invested heavily in that in Lassen Park starting in 1718, and it paid dividends when, um, you know, the Dixie fire hit in 21. You know, Jim, you'll often hear him. He, he has a quote about his crystal ball. And I love and hate the crystal ball because definitely the vision's there. But we, we utilize our analysts. We utilize our specialists. We work within a system that's prepared to respond to emergencies like that. And so we had complete trust and faith in the decisions we were making, me in the field as a federal branch chief and Jim as an agency administrator and superintendent. I also, my fire staff had excellent people. My assistant FMO, Dan Osman, was doing a lot of duty officer work and analyst work that helped Jim and I communicate during a very intense timeline to serve the park well. And ultimately, some of that relates to Jim being a realist and knowing the fire history that we have of many past superintendents and FMOs in the park that have really set us up for success. But the key element would be all the early communication and training and going through different scenarios with each other in reality. So I don't know, his attention to detail, his humble approach, his optimism, and for me, standout guy, genuine person that gave his career and his life to the service, the National Park Service. One last thing is that. Jim's retired from Lassen Volcanic National Park as the superintendent, but he's still going to be around and living in Mineral. And do you foresee your relationship continuing? Yeah, this is a exciting question for me to answer. Uh, Jim approached me about, I don't know, a couple months ago. And he asked, um, you know, I asked him, we had conversations at a performance eval about what the next steps were for myself and for him. And, um, for Jim, you know, a lot of retired superintendents, FMOs, will go into the administrative hire world, uh, emergency hire world, and still work on incident management teams and so forth. Um, but Jim's local concern and care for Mineral and the park and his work with many cooperative groups, we're going to keep that going. He's going to fill a role as a, as a volunteer for Lassen Volcanic National Park. 
He'll be working as a volunteer under the fire management program. So Jim is going to work in a liaison uh, capacity and also a team member capacity. So we're going to be able to continue a lot of the solid work that's been done uh, by Lassen Park and Jim Richardson with our interagency partners through the next several years. So uh, I'm really excited about that opportunity. And it's fun to get to joke with Jim, you know, now I'm his boss, right? <laughs> so we'll make sure that relationship keeps going strong and, and good. That's part of that relationship building and partnership that Jim and I have been fortunate to build over the last, uh, what, six, seven years. Well, Mike Klemek, the fire management officer for Lassen Park, thanks for sharing your relationship with Superintendent Jim Richardson with us. Hey, thank you guys for your time. Love your program and can't wait to speak with you again. Thanks, Mike. Mike Klemek is the chief fire officer for Lassen Volcanic National Park and a close colleague with retiring superintendent Jim Richardson. Let's return now to our conversation with Jim as we look back at his storied career in the National Park Service. Let's let's go back in time to, to the formation of the park because it it was a national monument first, right? It was actually uh, two national monuments, and those were very small uh, national monuments. I think it was uh, 1905. They were uh, essentially declared by the president, uh, Teddy Roosevelt, and uh, that was uh, Lassen Peak and Cindercone National Monuments. And at that time, then the rest of the area was all Lassen National Forest. Actually, I'm not sure if it was called Lassen Forest at the time. It might have just been the U.S. Forest Reserve. I believe that's correct. But then came uh, Lassen's waking up again, and uh, a series of eruptions started with little ones in, in 1912. 1914. 1914, okay. 1914, you. yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that action um, got people's uh, attention. So, okay, and then we get to the, the climactic big eruption of May 22nd, 1915, um, which created the devastated area there. And, uh, and how, did that, how did this all lead to it becoming a national park? Those, the, the photographs from Mr. Loomis uh, that went, went really nationwide and even worldwide but then there were a series of things that happened along with that, including um, the devastated area, which really when the peak erupted, when Lassen Peak erupted, it was hot gas and rock. And of course, that was in May when there was still a lot of snow and that melted quickly, that snowpack, and it just rushed down the hillside and created that devastated area, which was uh, still visible today. So um, it's it, that's one of the most interesting places to walk in. Yeah, it's it's fascinating to go there because you can literally pick up rocks and say, I know exactly the day and time this rock was born, May 22nd, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, 1915. Not too many places you can do that. You know, and 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 there, it, it's so obvious the the limits on the sides of that uh, lahar that came down the peak, and it goes from um, you know there's there's two hundred three hundred year old trees, and then there's it was white essentially the slate was wiped clean, and the trees that have come up now 
uh, are just a little over a hundred years old. Yeah, born they, exactly. Okay, and um, after the eruption, it becomes a national park in what nineteen sixteen. In nineteen sixteen, um, August ninth of nineteen sixteen. It's one of the earliest national parks, right? It, it is. It's one of the earlier national parks. It was uh, then created by Congress. So the, of course, the Park Service has a very interesting uh, history of of uh, a few parks uh, created and then a slew of national monuments and then a little bit slower of, of uh, park by park creation by Congress of worthy, worthy areas to be national parks. And I, are there 62 national parks now? Is that right? Is that about right? I believe it is 62 national parks, but we have, uh, I think it's 425 uh, units of the park system, which can be other designations as well, national historic sites, national monuments, uh, national recreation areas, uh, national battlefields, national memorials, uh, a bunch of others. And each one has a, a specific uh, purpose, and uh, that's tied to the legislation that established that park site. Okay, we're recording this um, the, the week of Thanksgiving here in 2023, and it was 60 years ago this week that President John F. Kennedy was assassinated in Dallas, and there will be a lot of commemorating and marking that uh, coming up. But it's very interesting that uh, there's a connection to Lassen Park with John F. Kennedy. He visited the park just, just prior, a couple of months before the trip to Dallas, didn't he? He did. President Kennedy uh, went on a tour of primarily natural resources throughout the West. And part of that tour was really focused on uh, the dedication of the Whiskey Town Dam. And when he flew into the area, uh, he flew in on Air Force One, got on uh, Marine One and flew up to Lassen Park, stayed the night in Lassen, getting ready for his big speech uh, on the dam at Whiskey Town. There's a famous uh, picture of him uh, in his uh, slippers and uh, bathrobe after just waking up and still in his pajamas and walking outside of his cabin at Lassen and feeding a deer by hand, which we don't encourage, but it's, it's, it's uh, a, uh, it's a famous photo, um, shows how, how human he was, uh, how much he, he loved nature. Yeah, that's a lovely story of him feeding, feeding bread to the deer. And then uh, I love when he walked back into the, to the, the place they were staying and told his, I, his staff, I'm uh, uh, sorry, we won't be having any toast for breakfast because <laughs> I fed it all to the deer. Yes. <laughs> Love that story. Okay, well, Jim, uh, before you retire, are, what are your plans for the future? Are there some national parks you want to go visit that you haven't been to that maybe you want to go check out? You know, I'm old enough now. I have my Golden Age passport that I've uh, purchased, and I plan to visit a bunch of parks with my my wife. Uh, and we have a, a dog and a cat, so if we're going to take them along, uh, we pretty much... We'll be traveling in our, our RV, um, 
we're gonna we're gonna maintain a residence in the town of Mineral. I'm gonna do a little bit of uh, volunteering for the national park for Lassen, and and we are we're gonna do quite a bit of traveling. Well, Jim Richardson, it's been you know just a joy to talk to you about your career in the National Park Service and and to know you as a person. You're just you're you're a great you're a great guy and uh, always have a smile on your face. And it's just been a fantastic representative for Lassen Volcanic National Park. So thank you. Well, thanks, Dave, and uh, to your your uh, listeners, consider a, a a park ranger or a park uh, career. And we we have every type of job that you can think of from uh, IT specialist to uh, administrative budget work to, uh, uh, you know, plumbers and road plowers and uh, all sorts of jobs. So, uh, so much opportunity. And uh, before I let you go on that note, what's the best way to go about that? How do you go about looking for now compared to when you started? What's the best way to go about finding a job, your place in the park system? Yes, all of those jobs are listed on USA Jobs. You can uh, type in from the internet and uh, they will. you can search those jobs by the type of job, uh, by the location where you might want to work. Um, um, they do have uh, early early applications for even the seasonal jobs. In fact, uh, most of the seasonal jobs for next summer have already been advertised and closed. So uh, we're a little bit late for for most of the jobs for next year. But um, and and that's the the traditional way to to get a, a job and, and career in the Park Service is first uh, for, from a seasonal job, kind of show your metal, your skills, uh, get some references, and, and then eventually apply for a permanent job. And then maybe someday you'll get to wear the superintendent's hat. You might get to, yep. <laughs> well, Jim Richardson, uh, retiring superintendent for Lassen Volcanic National Park, thanks so much for joining us to share uh, your recollections of your career in the National Park Service. You're very welcome and be, be happy to. I, I, I was happy to, to share those with everybody. Um, I'll be hanging up the, the famous Stetson Ranger hat here shortly. Thanks again to both our guests, Lassen Volcanic National Park Chief Fire Officer Mike Clemick, and of course, our guest of honor, retiring Superintendent Jim Richardson. I always enjoyed visiting with Jim, whether in the park or in his cozy office at park headquarters in Mineral, California. I hope we cross paths and maybe do some fly fishing for wild trout somewhere in or around the park in the near future. Blue Dot is a production of North State Public Radio, a service of Cap Radio in beautiful and talented Northern California. We're distributed by PRX. If you want to revisit, share, or check out past episodes, you can do just that on our website, mynspr.org. And while you're at it, subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode on our website, the NPR One app, or wherever you get your podcast groove on. Our theme music, Big Wave Dave, is by Matt Schiltz. Blue Dot is engineered and produced by the maestro, Matt Fiddler. For all of us here, I remind you there that from deep space, we all live on a pale blue dot. Blue Dot.